the Bible reading from for today comes from Genesis 1. So you can find that at the start of your Bibles. And we're going to jump around a little bit. So 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And we're going to jump to 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And we're going to go to 2-2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's an incredible passage that starts the Bible, first page of the Bible, the story of creation. Um, And although we didn't read the whole thing, I'm hoping you are somewhat familiar with it, um, or you take the time to read it yourself this week. Um, I went last night to the opening night of the Adelaide Festival. Did anyone else go? Um, The Symphony for the World, uh, which, which was basically an incredible reflection on creation. Um, and on creativity. So you had the symphony orchestra playing with these incredible choirs and then the screens uh, with this footage from National Geographic spanning the last, I think it was 130-something years of just the heights and the depths of creation. You know those um, creatures that are like deep, deep under the sea and then you've got Mount Everest <laughs> and then humanity and the people and all the different things from cities to you know, hiking Mount Everest and out in the desert uh, and then the animals. Seriously, there are some crazy, amusing animals in this world. It's an, it was, it's an incredible celebration, I think, of creation and creativity, um, which put me in a good frame of mind, uh, so hopefully sets the scene for you of what we're going to be talking about today. We're doing this series called Church Everywhere. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've found it really encouraging, but also really challenging. It's got, it, got us thinking about what it means to be the church, part of the family of God, both this in, you know, worldwide throughout history family, but also this family here at Richmond in our everyday lives, everywhere we go, because it's an identity that we carry with us everywhere. Um, And we talked about being friends and about being family. And then last week, Elliot talked to us about our work, our vocation, what it is that we do with a lot of our time. And today, kind of a companion piece to that, I guess, we're talking about this idea of rest uh, and the idea of play. And I think those things go together. I don't think it's an accident. Um, I think it's getting a bit old now. But you know the Mars bar slogan, yes? A Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. Probably wouldn't get through the senses now. A Mars a day. Um, But... It's not an accident that those three ideas were put together, work, rest, and play. They kind of fit together well. And so I wanted to go back and talk a little bit, of, just a recap, I guess, of what Elliot shared last week. And I'm going to ask you a question. It's not going to be a rhetorical question, so you might want to start thinking now about whether you've been reflecting on this or what difference it makes or um, how you think this works in your own situation. So last week we talked about work and this idea that there isn't this divide between what happens here on a Sunday and then Monday morning when we go to whatever it is we do for the majority of our week. 
Um, and we were invited to think about what we do during the week as partnering with God in his great cause, which is the renewal of all things, the flourishing of human life and the making known of who God is. And Elliot talked about some of the dangers when we misunderstand that, um, when we think about work as sort of a punishment. You know, work is there right in the beginning of creation in that story that we read in Genesis 1. Um, work, rest and play are all part of that story. They're part of God's plan. They're not some evil consequence of things going wrong. They're part of the original plan. But when we get that wrong and we try and either find meaning through our work and our busyness, which can lead to work, workaholism, they say it, um, or on the other hand, where we sort of uh, become apathetic and distracted and disconnected when we find it too hard. We talked about unhelpful ways of thinking about work, that it might just be seen as a means to an end or only for the money, um, or even that you, know, you purely go to your work to tell other people about Jesus, which is a great thing to do. But we want to have a bigger picture than that, that we are God's agents of reconciliation. And in all the different things we do during the week, we are contributing to a flourishing community and we've been commissioned by God to act as signposts of what will one day be. And so through our work, we can express our stewardship, we can express our service, we can be agents of justice and reconciliation and community building. So we really encouraged last week to think deeply about our work, that what we do matters and it echoes into eternity. It's not an incidental or trivial part of life, but an intentional contribution towards meaning and mission. And so the question we were asked is, how do we do this as a family? What does it look like for us? What does it look like for you? And so we gathered into those small groups last week with other people who were in similar work to us and we prayed for each other and we shared a little bit of and connected um, with those who are in a similar role. And there was an invitation to continue to do that, to connect with one another or to ask people um, what they do and how it fits into this and to encourage each other and connect during the week. So here's my question for you. Has anyone got any thoughts or uh, examples of how you've been thinking about that during the week or even something that you've done to put that into practice as we've talked about what it means to consider ourselves church in our workplaces and our vocations and what we do during the week? Anyone brave enough to share? Did anyone connect with each other during the week, talk about it more? Silence. I know I've put you on the spot, but it's an interesting challenge because there's no point sitting here for 30 minutes talking about it and then leaving it here. <laughs> if we're talking about being church everywhere, <laughs> then the challenge is let's keep talking about it, let's keep thinking about it, let's keep connecting about it. Now, you might have something brilliant to say, but you just don't want to say it publicly right now, and that's okay. Um, but I really want to encourage us to get, to get better at this, maybe, to keep having these conversations. I've been encouraged and challenged by the people that I've connected with during the week. Um, probably my examples are more going to come up with rest and play, so maybe you have better ones as well than necessarily work. But how are we reminding ourselves and one another each day or in patterns and rhythms throughout the week of who we are and what it means to be participating in what God is doing? If we get work wrong, if we see work as a burden or a struggle for identity and purpose then this idea of rest essentially becomes about relief. It becomes about the recovery from the exhaustion of the difficulty of work. And so it becomes this unhelpful cycle of burden, relief, burden, relief. But if we think about work properly, if we understand work as God's invitation to participate in what he is bringing about, then rest is an invitation to enter into and enjoy 
what God is bringing about. So we get to participate in it and contribute to it, but we also get to enjoy it and receive from one another and be blessed by it. And that's how I want us to think about these ideas of rest and play today, that rest is something much more than taking a break because you're tired. That might be a sign that you're working too much, if that's what rest has become. So we often hear the word rest as a break that we need because we need to recover, we're exhausted. And so rest is kind of seen as doing nothing. Sometimes that's the reality, because sometimes work isn't all that we hope it would be. We have to recognise the reality of that. We do live in a broken world, and sometimes that is our experience. But the picture the Bible wants to paint, the way the Bible wants to shape our imagination about work and rest is quite different. God rests. It's a key part of the story that Alyssa read to us in Genesis chapter 1, ending in verse 4 of chapter 2. It really should be one chapter. The climax of that whole story is day 7. God creates the world delighting in light and darkness and birds and fish and trees and all the different colours and animals and the people that he has made who are his, his delight. But then God rests. And it's easy to read that in our cultural context and think, man, God must have been really tired after six days of heavy labour creating the world. He just needed a break. He was exhausted. But that's never how this passage was intended to be heard and certainly not how the original readers would have heard it. God rests because he is so pleased and so delighted in what he has made that he wants to enjoy it. He wants to sit back and be part of it, to bask in it, to participate in it, to receive from it. God is blessed by his creation when he rests in it. The Hebrew word in this passage and throughout the Bible that is used for rest is the word Shabbat, from which we get the word Sabbath, right? Shabbat. And Shabbat is so much more than just doing nothing. I remember the first time when I was in Israel in 2004, I think it was, and I participated in the Shabbat meal, which is done by the Jews to this day every week on the Sabbath. You come together for this meal and there's a lot of activity and there's a lot of what kind of looks like work that goes into this day of rest because it's not a day for doing nothing. It's not a day for taking a break because you've been going so hard during the week that you just need to stop because you're exhausted. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of delight. It is a day of appreciating and enjoying all of the goodness of God. And so people gather together with their families and they eat these incredible meals. And the thing that really struck me, it's such a simple thing, and I'm sure I've shared it here before, but as we sat around the table, we were past these things just to smell. So like a cinnamon stick. Just take a minute and smell and appreciate the beauty and the goodness and delight in the variety and the depth and the breadth of what God has made. That's Shabbat. That's rest. <laughs> Delighting in all the good things that God has made. It's about community. It's about gratefulness. It's about appreciation. It's about delight. Perhaps in our language we would say it's even about play. That rest and play are not two separate categories, but a part of this whole idea of delighting in God's good creation. We have been made in the image of a God who works, a God who rests, and I would say a God who plays. You cannot look at creation and not think that God has a sense of play and fun. Just look at a platypus closely. Or look at those you know, odd creatures that are on the bottom of the ocean. God has a great sense of fun and play and delight. And we see this most clearly in this chapter that we read part of, Genesis chapter 1, the opening part of God's story in the Bible. 
I have to acknowledge this chapter has tended to be used in modern times for one purpose and one purpose alone, which is to argue about the origins of the universe. And certainly it has something to say into that debate, but that's not what this passage is about. This passage is introducing us to the kind of God that God is, the kind of world that he has made, and the invitation to us to participate in that world, both in work, in creating and participating in what God is bringing about, and in rest, in enjoying and delighting and embasking in what God has made. A lot of scholars would say this chapter, Genesis 1, is not so much about understanding the, the when and the how, but an invitation to living in the who and the why of this great story, the world that we live in every day. This chapter tells us who God is as the creator. The first thing we learn about God is that he is the God who creates. It begins with God, not me. That's an important part of the story because most of the stories we tell start with us. Yes, we tend to be a little bit self-focused, if not self-centered, but the Bible story starts with God and who he is. He's the author of life. He breathes and then speaks all things into being. And you can't be a creator without being creative. It's kind of an obvious point to make, but the creativity of God. Again, just look at the number of different colors that flowers come in. Like, seriously, God, wow. (laughs) He's so creative and so exuberant and abundant in the way that he has put this world together. The God who created the stars in the sky, he has a sense of scope. The God who created the processes in our bodies that keep our blood flowing and our hearts pumping and our eyes seeing and Naomi's nodding along, all the things that just happen every day in our bodies, that God has a sense of purpose, yes, and order and structure to be able to bring these things about. That's what we're meant to think when we reflect on this idea of creation. This is the kind of God God is, the God who creates We're also invited to reflect on who we are as the created. Reflecting on creation reminds us that we are not the start of the story and we are not actually the ones who make it what it is. One of the writers I was reading this week said this, we wake up every morning into a world we did not make. And that's such a good reminder, such a simple thought. But again, to sit there last night and to look at all those pictures and to think, (laughs) I didn't do this. That's who I am. I am the created, not the creator. And even to see ourselves as humans as part of the creation is really significant, something that we sometimes overlook. We talk about creation as that which is out there, yes? Go for a walk in God's creation and look at the beauty of it. You can also do that in this room right now. Look around you. Look at the beauty and diversity of God's creation that he has made, each one of us a part of it. I think the creation story humbles us as it reminds us that we are finite. It is God who is infinite. God is the one who is in control. It reminds us of simple things like, I can't be in two places at once. I have to sleep. God doesn't. I am the created. And you know what is the good thing about sleep? Numbers of good things. But when you wake up in the morning, the world's still turning. It did it all by itself without you. You are not indispensable. I am not indispensable. We are the created and we appreciate the creator. The other thing about this passage, which is, get your bingo cards ready, (laughs) which is very Richmond language, but we get it from the Bible. It's all about rhythm 
This chapter has this incredible rhythm to it. The story of rest, of creation, is a story of rhythm. There's repeated metrical and melodical phrases. There's a poetry to this chapter that's very unhurried. Um, Within each day of creation, there's this poetic repetition. Let me read it to you. You won't understand it, but uh, listen and hear the repetition. Every day we hear these words in this creation story. Wayoma Elohim, Wayara Elohim, Wayikra Elohim. There's this poetry and this repetition as each day we are told, and God said, and there was. And God saw, and it was good. And God called it by its name. And there was evening, and there was morning. There's this invitation to the rhythm of creation that we live in. A little bit of a tangent, but I didn't know where else to put it. But have you ever noticed in Genesis 1, each day, that there is evening and then there is morning? And that's the first day. We actually work the other way around. Yes, there is morning, then there's afternoon, then there's, then there's evening, then there's night, and that's a day. Uh, even to this day, Jewish people still start the day at sunset. The evening comes before the morning. And it's an interesting thing to reflect on because what I like about that idea, I'm not suggesting we should change all our calendars and our clocks, but what it reminds us is this. We don't rest from our work. We work out of our rest. The evening comes first, right? So you rest and delight and are renewed so that you step into what you were called to participate in. And I like that idea because I do think in our culture we get it backwards. That's why we have so many problems. We work, 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 and then we need to rest. But flipping it around and thinking about the evening coming first reminds us of the invitation to delight and rest and then to participate out of that. Enjoy what God has done and then step into the invitation to be a part of it. So maybe we should have done this sermon last week and worked this week, but anyway, you can take that up with Elliot. So there's a rhythm each day in this story. It's also a rhythm within the whole week. It's a quite unusual rhythm. Eugene Peterson has written quite a bit about this, the guy who did the message translation. And he says, if you were to write it musically, the rhythm of creation is this. One, two, three, three, four, five, five, six, sorry, not sorry, I got that wrong. One, two, three, three, Four, five, six, six, seven, seven, seven. You got that? One, two, three, three, four, five, six, six, seven, seven, seven. That's how many times each day is n- mentioned and named in the story. Now, that would be pretty hard to drum to. I, trying to. I can't even say it, let alone keep that time. But he suggested yeah, this is the rhythm of creation. It's a reminder of the unhurried pace of it and of the pinnacle of it, the seven, seven, seven at the end as the climax of the story. There's rhythm in this story and there's rhythm in our lives. He talks about our heartbeats keep time every day, our pulse, the breath of our lungs that expand and contract give us a rhythm every second. We have daily rhythms of sleeping and waking, of eating. You can try to mess with them, you won't get too far. We are created to live in rhythm. And then we have the rhythm of the week or the rhythm of the month or the rhythm of the years as we age Genesis 1 is an invitation to enter into the rhythm, the beat of creation, as well as the lyrics, which are the beauty of creation, who we are created to be, the gift of life. And at the climax of that is Shabbat, rest. A day set aside to remember who we are as part of creation, but also an invitation to take delight and joy in it. God blessed the seventh day, we read, and made it holy. And God's people are invited in the Old Testament to set aside that day and make it holy. What does that mean? What does Sabbath mean to you when you hear that? 
But what does it mean to have a day of rest? Is it a practice of doing nothing? Just need to have a break because we've been working so hard. Or is there something more to it? Another writer on the Sabbath, Ruth Haley Barton, she says this, Sabbath keeping honours the body's need for rest, but it also honours the spirit's need for replenishment and the soul's need to delight itself in God for God's own sake. It begins with a willingness to acknowledge the limits of our humanness and then take steps to live more graciously within the rhythm and order of creation. This rhythm of work and rest, of engagement and retreat, if you like, of rest and play. We all need to engage in it. Of course, the danger is that throughout history, the mandate of the Sabbath, the idea that you must take one day a week to rest, has too often led to legalism, led to this is what it has to look like and no more, and we put rules around it so the Baptists in a certain part of history get uh, paid out for, you know, no smoking, no dancing, no drinking, but also on the Sabbath, no going to the movies, uh, you know, no, there's like certain lists of things you could and couldn't do anytime, but also certain things you couldn't do particularly on the Sabbath. Jesus had the same problem. When Jesus walked among us in first century, the people were putting these rules and these regulations about the Sabbath. Well, there's a day it's rest, you can walk this far, but no further. And you can do this kind of work, but not that. I saw this, again, um, lest I sound like some idyllic paradise, one of the things I loved when I was in Israel on the Sabbath in a hotel. You can use a key, but you can't use a swipe card on the Sabbath. I do not understand how one's work and one's not, but uh, you can use the elevator, but you can't push the buttons. Right? So there's an elevator set to Sabbath mode, which will stop on every floor, which is really annoying if you get into it and you don't care about pushing buttons because you have to wait if you're staying in too many stories. We put all these rules and regulations and boundaries around it. That's not the point, Jesus said. It's about practicing and recognizing the rhythms of life and choosing to enter into God's calling. Jesus rested. He spent time in solitude. He spent time with his friends and he invited them to come to him as the one in whom they would find their rest. But he was also willing to challenge people on what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. He said it's more important to care for one another, to look after one another. So we need to be careful about that. But we also need to hear the invitation of God to what rest might mean for us. This picture of rest is also used in the Bible as a picture of the goal, not only of the creation in the first seven days, but of the whole story of creation. Throughout the Old Testament, God talks about his people entering into his rest uh, when they go, first go into the land that God has given them, it's a place of rest, meaning they will have arrived where God wants them. Not, they're not going to suddenly stop working. Let me tell you, they worked really hard when they got there because they had to build houses and start farming practices. But it was a place where they delighted in and recognised God's presence and God's rhythm in their life. In the New Testament, rest is used as a picture for the new creation. In Hebrews, the writer says, we will enter into God's rest, this vision for what happens when Jesus returns and all things are made new. And again, if you hear rest as doing nothing, I wonder whether that's part of the problem I've seen and I've had in my own life with the idea that heaven sounds pretty boring because if it's just rest and you do nothing, it's a long time to be you know, in eternity doing nothing. I would suggest that if work, rest and play are part of the creation story, work, rest and play are all part of the new creation. We are both called to delight in the renewal of all things and to participate in what God is doing can't tell you too much more about what it's going to look like. We've got plenty of ideas, but we haven't been there yet. But it is this incredible picture of what God is inviting us to. So these ideas for me in rest are not an escape from work, 
but a time of delight and worship and wonder and play. And that is why we meet as churches on the Sabbath, on the, or on Sunday, it's changed um, to the day of the resurrection, the day of the renewal of all things when it began with Jesus. But Sunday is this day of rest. We don't come here and all have a nap. We could try that sometime. It would be fun, maybe, if we're all feeling tired. But we come here and we worship and we celebrate community and we enjoy one another's presence and we delight and hopefully we even do a bit of play. We have fun together. We enjoy participating in who we are as God's people. So I want to talk briefly about this idea of play because I think that can also be misunderstood. And it's not so much a biblical word, but it's an interesting word to think about. Sometimes we think play is what kids do. Yes, children play. Adults are much more serious than that. Um, Or play is seen as meaningless pursuits, the things that you do for no good reason. But God as our creator is a God who delights in his creation, we've already seen, is abundant and extravagant in what he has made and has given us creativity and these incredible bodies and these incredible communities in which we can play. Eugene Peterson, who I quoted before, wrote this book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. It's this really interesting idea of a Jesus who plays. And he talks about him playing in creation, which we've already talked about, him playing in history and him playing in community. And I want to read you, just a, it's about a page from his work because I think he says it way better than I ever could. Just maybe close your eyes and listen to what he says about just being in the world. He says, there is so much here, around, above, below, inside, outside. Even with the help of poets and scientists, we can account for very little of it. We notice this, then that. We start exploring the world around us. We try our neighbourhood, this street, then that one. We venture across the tracks. Before long, we, we start looking through telescopes and down into microscopes, curious, fascinated by the endless proliferation of sheer isness, colour and shape and texture and sound. After a while, we get used to it. We quit noticing. We get narrowed down into something small and constricting. Somewhere along the way, this exponential expansion of awareness, this wide-eyed looking around, this sheer untaught delight in what is here reverses itself and the world contracts and we are reduced to a life of routine through which we sleepwalk. But then something comes along to jar us awake. A child asks a question. A fox of sleek beauty passes our view. A sharp pain is felt. A pastor's sermon is heard. A fresh metaphor is understood. An artist's vision is seen. A slap in the face is felt. A scent from a crushed violet is smelled. And we are again awake, alert, in wonder. How did this happen? And why this? Why anything at all? Why not nothing at all? Wonder. Astonishment. Adoration. Surely there can't be very many of us for whom the sheer fact of existence hasn't at some point rocked us back on our heels. We take off our sandals before the burning bush. We catch our breath at the sight of a plummeting hawk. We find ourselves in a lavish existence in which we feel a deep sense of kinship. We belong here. And we say thanks with our lives to life. And not just thanks or thank it, but thank you. Most of the people who have lived on this planet have identified this you with God. This is not just a matter of learning our manners, the way children are taught to say thank you as a social grace. It is the cultivation of adequateness within ourselves, 
to the nature of reality. Developing the capacity to sustain an adequate response to the overwhelming gift and goodness of life. Wonder is the only adequate launching pad for exploring a spirituality of creation, keeping us open-eyed, expectant, alive to life that is always more than we can account for, that always exceeds our calculations, and that is always, always beyond anything we could make. Invitation to wonder, an invitation to delight. If you're interested, feel free to ask about borrowing that book, but it's an incredible invitation to enter into this delight, this wonder, this play, this rest that basks in the creator and every aspect of his creation. So I want to finish by asking, so what does that look like practically for us? What does it look like for me and for you this week, individually, but also as a community, because we're talking about being the church together everywhere? What does it mean to be the church when we rest and when we play? I have a few thoughts. I'm sure you can come up with some more of your own. What does it look like to do it as a community? Well, hopefully it's part of what we do when we gather together in the rhythms of meeting in our gospel groups and at other times when we connect. It's not about creating an insular community where we never interact with anyone else, but being family together in play and in rest. I know there was a group um, early this year talking about playing netball together. The lads are going camping together. How do we rest and play together in ways that we can remind each other of the beauty of life and of creation that God has invited us into? I think similarly to what we talked about last week with work, maybe it does bring into question some of the ways that we spend our time. Are we using our rest and our play well? Are we accepting God's invitation to rest and play in ways that delight in who he is and who he has made us to be? Now, there's a multitude of things you can do within that. Using our bodies, playing sport, uh, or enjoying creation, going swimming or snorkeling down on a reef. Using our minds, reading books and learning new things. Engaging with one another in community activities. Appreciating the full expression of human achievement, going to art and museums comedy shows, Fringe and Festival are on at the moment. There's a multitude of things, but maybe there are some question marks around the boundaries. I was wondering this this week, Elliot said last week, you know, are there vocations that maybe aren't appropriate for Christians? I thought, you know, cat burglar is probably on the list. But what about what we do when we rest and we play? Are we making sure that the ways in which we rest and play honour others rather than exploit them? Again, I don't want to write a list and be legalistic, but say gambling. It's probably not delighting and resting in God's good creation. How are we using our rest and play well? Or within that, how are we being who God has called us to be? I know it probably doesn't look like it, but I played basketball for about 15, 20 years. I loved it. It was a big part of my play and activity, but I had to watch it because I get a bit of white line fever, a little bit competitive. A little bit, you know, have a go at the ref. And then I became the ref and realised, you know, they're doing their best. How do I do it in a way that is honouring? You know, it's a great pursuit. But I have to recognise the challenges that I face. I don't know what it is for you. But how do we integrate our lives so that who we are as the people of God has an influence on the way that we are and who we are when we rest and we play? Sometimes maybe more solitary restful activities are needed because we just enjoy God's beauty and presence and, um, and life on our own. But they can also have a purpose of blessing others. I think of people I know who love knitting or love sewing, but then take what they have made and gift it 
So a lady I know who loves crocheting would make these rugs and then send them to this mission in Zambia. And so when we went to Zambia, there's like 100 kids running around with these Adelaide-coloured, like crows-coloured, knitted crochet rugs that she has made for them. Or how we engage in community. I'm a reader. I love reading and it's a fairly solitary pursuit, but I'm part of a book club with a few other people from this church and some others as well where we get to talk about it and discuss it and learn from each other. How do we find ways of connecting our rest and our play with one another and with God's good purposes? When in this community are we talking about these things? As I mentioned, um, the Fringe and the Festival are on at the moment, which is great fun entertainment, but also a great opportunity to enjoy and then ask questions and participate with it. Uh, Rachel and I went and saw the Choir of Man the other night. This is not a plug, but it was great, so if you want to go see it. Um, And it was just a good, fun show, but it's also had me thinking since then. It raised questions about what is community and how do people see community. Uh, It raised questions about what it means to be male and masculine in our culture today. It's a very blokey show, I was told. I loved it. It was this incredible picture of masculinity, I think, in, in a healthy way, as God has created it to be. When are we talking about this stuff, inviting one another to participate, at connecting in our, with our experience of Jesus and worship with what we're doing in the rest of our time? A few more questions. Where do you make time for this? Where is there wonder in your week? Where is there delight? Where is there community? Where is there spontaneity? Where is there creativity? Where are you open to surprise, maybe even a bit of silliness? to interaction and responsiveness. When was the last time you just went for a walk in God's good creation? Whether out in the trees, on the beach, or actually in the city and looking at the faces of the incredible people that God has made, staring into the face of a baby, people watching on a bus. How do you rest well? How do you appreciate God's good creation, soak it in, and how do you connect it with community so that we can help each other to do well. So I hope you're starting to think about your own life, about your own week, about your own rhythms and your own practices. One of my friends uh, used to look at his diary for the week and make sure, now this this isn't for everyone, (laughs) but make sure that he'd actually put into his diary time for rest and play. And he would use a colour-coded system that he could look at his week at a glance and see where there was work and see where there was rest and where there was play. See where there are things that maybe where he was giving out and places where he was receiving and appreciating and being blessed. Maybe that's something you need to consider. Where is the balance and integration in your life? We also have this weekly rhythm, this practice where we come together, where we worship and fellowship and have coffee and sing songs and do all the things that we do here. And hopefully this is a time of rest and play as we participate in the goodness of the community that God has created and is continuing to create here at Richmond. And every month, we have another practice that we do. The practice of a meal. It's a pretty small meal in some ways. We do larger meals, actually, probably about that often as well when we have lunch together. But it's a meal that has been going on for centuries, two millennia now, around the world today that others are participating in as well that Jesus instituted. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is an opportunity to reflect and wonder on God's good gifts. God's good gift of food and drink and God's incredibly good gift of himself because Jesus entered into this creation to play with us, to rest with us, to work with us, to show us what it looks like to live and be part of God's good creation. And I don't think it's an accident that he chose a meal 
Meals are times of celebration and community and delight and Shabbat in all its fullness. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this simple meal, just a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice. But it reminds us of so much more that you entered into this creation, lived among us as a human being with all the delight and foibles that come with our humanity. And then you gave that life in our place so that we might have life, a life that is what God created it to be and what God is seeking to redeem and renew and recreate even now and for eternity. And so we thank you for this simple meal and we thank you for this community where we can celebrate it together. And we thank you for the invitation to life. We wonder and are amazed and in awe at this gift you have given us. And we pray that you would help us to celebrate it together, to celebrate it in our own lives, to rest well, to play well, to delight and enjoy all that you have given us, even as we hear your call to participate in giving it and participate in how you are bringing it about for others. So thank you for this time and we pray as we... Uh, spend time together now over coffee that we would continue to delight in one another, to connect well and to look forward to what it means to be your people here today and everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.